If this is your first time tonight, my name is Andrew Kappenman, and I have the pleasure of being a church planner on staff here at Salt Church, and me and my friend Patrick are headed down the road to Orlando uh, to plan a church next to UCF, uh, and we're excited about that. But I get the pleasure tonight, the opportunity to get to preach the Word, and so if you have the Bible in front of you or a phone, uh, you can turn or tap, whatever you want to call it, to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. And so what we have been going through is the life of David and just walking through key parts of his life. And, and there's so many different areas that we could walk into. There's so many different things that David did and so many stories that were written about him um, that we, could, we can spend a year or so in, in, in the life of who David was. Um, tonight we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and looking at a faithful friendship that he had. A faithful friendship that he had um, in the most unlikely person that you would think of. And usually, if you have a really, really good friend, that is usually done just abnormally, right? It just kind of happens. I'm in Gainesville, Florida, about to plant a church with a good friend of mine. And I've already told you, you know, it's Patrick. When I first met Patrick... I was a senior in high school, and I came to the community college that we were going to, to a campus ministry event, and didn't know anybody, met Patrick, figured out that he was living in like the best dorms on campus, and didn't have a roommate. I was like, hey, you're my guy. Don't know who you are, don't care who you are, but if I get to stay in those dorms, that's who I want to be with, right? That probably didn't go as well as Patrick thought it was going to go, because I really was not living for Jesus, Entering college, I was playing football, and I was just living my best life, right? Patrick's like, man, I didn't sign up for this. But his friendship in my life and his love for Jesus and his subtle accountability led me to repentance and led me see who Jesus was in a new and a fresh way. Later on down the road, we're both chasing Jesus together, and we get to bring now our wives and our three kids on both sides, now six kids together going to a place to get to share the gospel, right? Because there's something that grew from that. There's something that, that was a part of that relationship that we couldn't have forced, right? And so when you're, when you're growing in a relationship, whether it's with a friend or with a significant other, what is the primary thing that you think that you need? You can shout them out. It's all good. What would be the first thing? Trust, Right? Trust is what you need in that friendship, what you need in that relationship. Because if you don't have trust, then you really don't know where you stand. You don't, you don't really know what's happening as you're walking alongside each other. And ultimately, that trust le leads into a sense of loyalty, right? That as that trust grows, that friendship or that relationship grows, and you're willing to do anything because you care about that person so much. Ultimately, when you think about relationships, you automatically think about marriage, right? My wife has to fully trust in my leadership as the Lord has given me to lead her, lead my kids, in the sense that why in the world would we move all the way here to Florida to plant a church? She had to trust my leadership in that way. Even as I was playing sports, there was a sense of trust that had to be involved in that. 
the position I played in football was quarterback. I had to trust that that left tackle wasn't going to get me killed every single day. Sometimes I didn't trust that guy that much. And I got hit really hard. I'm a kind of a nerdy person when it comes to history and things like that. But anybody ever watch like those like Navy SEAL like things on the History Channel where it like walks through that week where they just go through the worst thing ever? Anybody ever watched those before? It's crazy, right? But all the things that they go through starts building trust within each other. As they're holding boats over their head, they have to trust and know that that guy that's standing to the right of them or that guy that's standing in front of them or behind them is not going to give up standing and putting that boat above their head. And as that trust starts to build, then that loyalty starts to grow that they know as they go into battle that that guy that is standing behind them is looking in the opposite direction, looking for things that may hurt them, that may kill them. And so we see an unlikely story in the book of 1 Samuel when it comes to David's life where he meets a a friend and a guy named Jonathan who would be the most unlikely friend, right? David's life gives us, us a story of this great friendship. And in this story, we see the details of why that faithful friendship was so crucial. And so kind of the background information of that and the way that this loyalty and this trust formed was that, as we know, as we walk through the book of 1 Samuel, and we walk through David's life, that Saul, the, the, the king, did not really like David. And the reason why he did not like David, because, granted, David was anointed the next king, right? It wasn't coming from his line. It was coming from the line of Jesse. And so Saul did not like the fact that David was going to be the next king and wasn't, one of, wasn't going to be one of his heir. So when he figures this out, what happens? Man, spears start to fly, (laughs) literally. (laughs) Multiple times, like Saul throws a spear, tries to kill David. David just starts taking, like running for his life. And then ultimately, Saul's son, Jonathan, who has made a friendship with David, and through walking closely with who God is, forms this friendship, starts to form this trust, starts to form this uh, loyalty. And the reason why this was happening because Saul's anger at David was so heavy. He was so afraid of what David was going to do. Jealousy took over Saul's life. And that just wasn't who Jonathan was. But as Saul, this jealousy took over. So in contrary to who Saul was, we see this friendship form because of the gospel, because of the love of God, uh, was worth more than position or power in Jonathan's life. And so the main idea that I would hope for you to see tonight, as we walk through this, as as you know, if you were here last week, as we get into these stories, we almost have to read these entire stories to kind of figure out where we're going. So we're going to be in a lot of verses tonight. We're going to be in a lot of text. Uh, But the main idea that I would hope for you to see, that in our relationships, loyalty and trust should be driven by our love for God. Loyalty and trust should be driven by our love for God. Because granted, we can have relationships outside of the gospel, right? I have a lot of true friends that do not know who Jesus is. And their friendship for me would be driven by something completely different from the way my relationship is, is driven towards them, right? 
There are tons of people who, who are friends with each other, who have no idea who Jesus is, who have no idea what the gospel is. But as people sitting in this room, as people who know and seen the word being preached, you're hearing it tonight, that we know that in our relationships, this loyalty and trust that we build in friendships and our relationships with significant others are driven by our love for who God is. And so what I want to do is in 1 Samuel chapter 20, we're going to walk through this story of how this friendship starts to form. And what happens is between David and Jonathan, a covenant kind of forms between them. Saying, hey, I'm going to look out for your back, you're going to look out for mine, and we're going to do this together. And then we're going to jump over to chapter 23, just for a short few verses, and we're going to see this covenant even renewed again, and we're going to see how Jonathan interacts with David. And I think the reason why David is who he is is because of this friendship, right? If Jonathan wasn't this great friend, wasn't this faithful friend, David would have died way before he was supposed to ascend as king, right? And so let's jump into the passage, and we're going to start reading through it. And basically, we're going to just kind of walk through uh, verse by verse, and we're going to explain it. And then at the very end, I'm going to give you three application points of some attributes that we can apply to our friendships and our relationships, all right? So in chapter 20 of, verse, uh, of 1 Samuel, it says, David fled from Nioth in Ramah and came to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What did I do wrong? Have I sinned against your father so that he wants to take my life? Right? So David's like, hey, Jonathan, your dad's slinging spears at me. He's trying to kill me. What happened? Like, why is he doing this? Like, why does he want me to? What have I done to him? Because he didn't ask 1 Samuel, or he didn't ask Samuel, 1 Samuel, right? right? There's more than one. He didn't ask Samuel to anoint him as king, right? He wasn't running to the front of the lines like, hey, pick me. And so David is just kind of like, you know, confused at this moment. He's running to Jonathan, his, his, his kind of friend at this moment. It's like, hey, like, what did I do to your dad? Why is he trying to kill me? What is he, why does he want my life to be gone? And Jonathan in verse 2 said this. And Jonathan said to him, no, you won't die. Listen, my father doesn't do anything great or small without telling me. So why would he hide this matter from me? This cannot be true. So Jonathan's kind of in the dark, like, Man, why isn't my dad? It's like, if he's really trying to kill David, he would tell me about it. I'm not sure that's something that you just go around telling, you know, like, hey, I'm trying to kill this guy. But Saul is that guy, right? He, he, he does this. But Jonathan just doesn't know. And there's a reason why he doesn't know, because Saul is jealous. He's wanting Jonathan to really take that place, right? Verse 3, he's kind of walking through. He said, but David said to your father, but David says, your father certainly knows that I have found favor with you. He has said, Jonathan must not know of this or else he will be grieved. David also swore, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, there is but a step between me and death. And so David just throws it out there. Jonathan, the reason why your dad hasn't told me is because he knows the friendship that we have. And if he knows the friendship that we have, he knows that you will interfere and you will step in. And there's a difference between him and you. And there's only a step between me dying and not dying, and he doesn't want that gap to grow any larger. He is not telling you because of this. And so in verse 4, Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do. Whatever you say, I will do. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend like that? Like Whatever you say, I will do. Like I trust you. I'm here for you. Whatever you need, I'll be there at the snap of a finger or a blink of an eye. 
I'm telling you guys, those are hard friendships to come by. They don't come by easy. And a lot of times they come from hurt and they come from pain and come from walking through hard stuff together. But what a statement by Jonathan and David. But these statements are driven by love for God. Jonathan's not just talking through, it's like, oh man, he's, he's, he's my bro, you know, till we die, right? No, he's doing this because he knows God has a specific plan for David's life. He truly cares for David, and he's like, David, whatever you say, I will do. So here, after verse 4, just as good friends do, right? They start coming up with a plan. And usually these plans... Start with some little white lies, right? It's like, hey, we got to formulate a plan so Saul doesn't know where I am. <laughs> We're going to tell him this, but this is not really what's going on. I remember that point in my life where I had a friend who probably shouldn't have been my friend, but we were seniors in high school, and our school, I went to a small private school in Mississippi where there was 180 people from like K3 to 12th grade. So just think about that. There's more people in this room that was in my entire school. Close, right? And so I was a senior in high school, and the principal of our school came up to me and this friend of mine, and it's like, hey, we're doing like this honors thing for these elementary kids who make good grades. We need you to go to this town that was close to my school and pick up the pizza. Here are the van keys for the school. It's not a smart decision, Right? Two senior guys giving keys to a van that we probably shouldn't be driving. It's like a 15-passenger van. So at that moment in life, you're not driving 15-passenger vans, right? And so we did this, and my friend was driving. We go to get these pizzas, and there's a railroad track that has kind of a hill, you know? We start going faster. <laughs> we hit this railroad track start ramping. We were off the ground for a cool like two or three seconds in a 15-passenger van, right? This car like, at the, there's a car like this at the stop sign and sees this entire thing happening. Like, crap, you know. We didn't think of anything of it. We went and got the pizzas. We took them back. Two weeks later, you know, the little intercoms in your school, hey, we need Andrew and Nathan to come to the office. I looked at Nate, I was like, man, this is not a friendship that I should have. So in that moment, what do we start doing? We start formulating a plan, right? We start making up a story. Like, what are we going to do to get out of this? What are we going to do to save our lives, right? A little bit different here with David, but it's kind of the same context. Like, David's like, okay, with Jonathan, all right, look at verse 5. He says, so David told him, look, tomorrow is the new moon. I'm supposed to sit down and eat with the king Instead, let me go and I'll hide in the countryside for the next two nights. If your father misses me at all, say, David urgently, urgently requested my permission to go quickly to this hometown in Bethlehem for an annual sacrifice there involving the whole clan. You think this is happening? Not at all, right? David's like, we just got to make up something. We got to, yeah, I'm trying to live. I'm not trying to die. So he does this. And if he says good, then your servant is safe. But if he becomes angry, then he will know that there is evil intention. Deal kindly with your servant, for you brought me into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I've done anything wrong, then kill me yourself. 
Why take me to your father? Right? So David formulates his plan. I'm going to go here, say that this is where I'm going. If he's good with me, great. If he's not good with me, then you're going to know he's got evil intentions on my life, and so you just come kill me yourself. I would rather you do it than, than Saul. And then verse 9, no, Jonathan responded. Are you crazy, right? This is a good friend, right? If your friend asks you to kill you, right, usually the answer is no, okay? All the time, right? No, just say no. Jonathan says, no, if I ever find out that my father has evil intentions against, against you, wouldn't I tell you about it? So Jonathan is still kind of in the state of denial, like, hey, man, like, I really don't think my father wants you to die. David's like, yeah, he does, man. Like, you're going to find out. But Jonathan's going to be a good friend. He's like, okay, here we go. So David asked Jonathan in verse 10, who will tell me if your father answers harshly? And he answered David, come on, let's go out to the countryside. So both of them went out to the countryside. By the Lord of the God of Israel, I will sound out my father by this time tomorrow or the next day. If I find out that he is favorable, favorable towards you, hard word, will I not send for you and tell you? If my father intends to bring evil on you, may God punish Jonathan, uh, may God punish Jonathan and do so severely if I do not tell you and send you away so that you leave safely. May the Lord be with you just as he is with my father. If I continue to live, show me kindness from the Lord. But if I die, don't ever withdraw your con uh, kindness from my household. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan is this kind of formulating this plan with David. It's like, okay, if this goes downhill, and like my father gets angry at me, and I die, and all those things happens, make this covenant with me. You're my friend. Make sure that my household is taken care of. So not only is Jonathan trying to be the best friend and trying to look out for David and, and to no, do that because of his love for God, that he's asking that to be reciprocated by David. He's like, hey, look out for my household. And David is doing just that. David has just that much of love for Jonathan as Jonathan has for him. And they're growing in this relationship. This trust is growing. They have loyalty for one another. And they're like, okay, we're, we're going to do this because this is what we see the Lord moving and acting in our lives. Then verse 16, it says, Then Jonathan made this covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord hold David's enemies accountable. Jonathan once again swore to David in his love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. What a great statement. Because each and every one of us in this room, right, we love ourselves a lot. We look out for number one most of the time. And so when Jonathan says this, he's like, Man, I love you just as much as I love myself. I see you as the next anointed king. I know that this is what is God is doing in my life. This is what God is doing in your life. And this is a very unique stance for Jonathan. Because guess what? If David was gone, who is king? Jonathan. How hard does that have to be said? And ultimately, when Jonathan is saying this, and he's like, hey, I, I love you just as much as I love myself. I want you to survive. I want you to live. And in saying that, he is showing a, a, a love for him that is not even for his father. We have to allow that to sit and resonate that Jonathan's love for God and love for his plan is even worth more than having a great relationship with his father. So as the story goes, we continue through it, everything starts to unfold, right? 
says, then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon. You'll be missed because of uh, your seat will be empty. The following day, hurry down and go to the place where you hid the day this incident began and stay beside the rock at Azel. I will shoot three arrows beside it as if I'm aiming at a target. Then I will send a servant and say, go and find the arrows. Now, and now if I expressly say to the servant, look, the arrows are on the side of you. Get them, then come, because as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there's no problem. So he's like, hey, I'm going to shoot these arrows this way. That means it's going to be safe. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go for the Lord is sending you away. As for the matter you and I have spoken about, the Lord will be a witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the countryside, and all this stuff starts to take place, right? Uh, we're just going to kind of skip through the story a little bit so we don't just get bogged down. The seat's empty for a couple days. Saul, Saul's like, hey, where's David? Jonathan's like, hey, he's with his clan. They're doing this thing, right? And he's like, all right. And the next day happens, and Saul's like, hey, where is David? And Jonathan again says in verse 28, if we want to skip there really quickly, on the second day, and Jonathan answered, David asked for my permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go because our clan is holding a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has told me to be there. So now if I find favor with you, let me go so I can see my brothers. That's why he didn't come to the king's table. Verse 30, when it all comes to light. Then Saul became angry with Jonathan and shouted, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you are siding with Jesse's son to your own shame and to the disgrace of your mother? Every day Jesse's son lives on this earth you and your kingship are not secure. Now send for him and bring to me to him because he must die. We ultimately see the heart of Saul in these few verses. He's looking at his son, right? And it's like a movie, right? You know those movies, son, father, and he's like, would you stop being an idiot and realize that the law, as long as this guy's alive, your kingship is in danger, Get it through your head, Jonathan. Verse 23 says, Saul's servants reported these words directly to David. Uh, oh, I'm, my page turned. I'm like, whoa, that's the wrong verse. Verse 32, Jonathan answered his father back, why is he to be killed? What has he done? Then Saul, as he did to David many times, threw a spear at Jonathan to kill him. He obviously is not a great aim, okay? He hasn't killed anybody yet with a spear. So he knew that his father was determined to kill David. So he got up from the table, fiercely angry, and did not eat any food the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved because of his father's shameful behavior toward David. So in the morning, he went out to the countryside. He shot the arrows to let David know, it's like, hey, you need to flee. My father is not happy with you. And David's like, right? I've been trying to tell you. He's throwing spears at you now. So this happens. In verse 41, it says, When the servant had gone, David got, up, David got up from the south side of the stone of Ezel, fell face down to the ground, paid homage three times. The, then he and Jonathan kissed each other and wept with each other, though David wept more, right? Like, this is not like this crazy, like, weird relationship here. This was a true friendship that they knew that this was going to rock their world that they knew that this was ultimately going to tear them apart, tear their friendship apart, and move them away from each other because of where Saul's heart was. 
there is a trust that was beyond all levels, a trust that was put more in the, the plan of God than in, in the plans of men. Because what Saul wanted was wanted, Saul wanted his son to be king. And Jonathan was like, whether my, Saul, my, whether my father Saul is, is, is right or wrong, I know that the plan ha- God has for us, and that is meant for David to ascend. And you're my friend, and I'm standing with you because I love God that much. And in verse 42, it says, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in assurance, the two of us as pledged in the name of the Lord, when we said, The Lord will be a witness between you and me, between my offspring and your offspring forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went into the city. What a picture of a covenant that is made between two guys, two friends who loved each other, who trusted each other, who were loyal to each other, and that this covenant was going to be remembered forever. That God ordained this friendship, he ordained this covenant, God has placed these stories all together, and both of them are saying, let us both serve God faithfully because of who he is to us. Then if you want to jump over to 1 Samuel 23, because in the passages in between, we see that David continues to flee from Saul, continues to run from him, continues to try to run for his life. And they're doing everything they can to keep keep following God with everything that they have and to trust that God's plan is better than our plan. And then we see Jonathan and David's paths cross once again. And we see in verses uh, 15 through uh, 18, the covenant that was just made between two friends that was renewed again. And we see some very special things that I think that we can draw from as we look into our relationships today. As we look into relationships, even with uh, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our future husband, our future wife, as we can look into it with our friendships that we are walking alongside in a daily basis. But if we look at verses 15 through 18, look at this. David was in the wilderness in Ziph, in Horesh, when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Then son, Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, Do not be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you, You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows that it is true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. Afterward, David remained in Horesh while Jonathan went home. So Jonathan knew that Saul had come to Horesh to to try to kill uh, David once again. And this is what we see. Jonathan was trusting in God plan. We see that the relationship was still there. Jonathan is still loyal to David. David is still loyal to Jonathan. And why? And I think there's three attributes that we see from this friendship between David and Jonathan that we can draw out of into our relationships today. And so if you have a pen and paper, I don't think that these are just like crazy things that are just going to be like, oh man, I've never heard that before. Uh, But I think they're good for us to remember. The first attribute that we see from this friendship is in the very first part of verse 16. It says, Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horesh and encouraged him in his faith. A friendship that grows, a relationship that grows, is one that is encouraging. 
one that is encouraging each other. And not just encouraging, that encourages someone in their faith. So if you have a good friend, it's not going to be someone that just encourages you um, to like, hey, just keep going, you got this. No, it's one that's going to encourage in you and saying, hey, this is who Jesus is in your life. This is why he saved you. Yes, you may be hurting right now, but Jesus is better. Have faith in that Jesus. Have faith in that God because he is the God of everything. He knows what's coming up next in your life, and you need to put your trust in him daily. Those are the best friendships that you can have. Those are the best relationships that you have. That's the husband that you want one day. That's the wife that you want one day. When you wake up in the morning and you know that it's been a hard week, that you're struggling, you're at work, all these things are going on. It's like, I know that you're having a, a, a rough week, but Jesus is still our Savior, and we can still follow him, and he has put us in this exact place and at the exact time for this exact reason because he is calling us to do and live for him. It encourages us in that faith. That's what Jonathan is doing. Because at this point in life, David is thinking, man, I am done running. I'm done with this. I wasn't asking to be king. This is what, not what my life I thought was going to be. And Jonathan's like, no, listen. He encouraged him in his faith in God. He's like, no, no, you uh, need to see this. And so one that is encouraging is not tearing down. It's not exalting self. And so the first attitude of Jonathan and David's relationship is just this. One that encourages in our faith. And the second one, and one that points to God. He says, no, it's not just faith. Not faith in yourself. It's not faith in what you can do. It's not faith in your talents. It's not faith in your treasures. It's not faith in, in the money that you have. It's not faith in the people that you know. It's not the faith in your professors or in your parents. No, it's faith in the one true God. Jonathan is proclaiming. He's like, hey, God is the one who anointed you as king, the next king of Israel. Have faith in him. As you are friends with others, as you're in relationships with others, that's who you're pointing those people to put their faith in, not yourself. Not yourself. I think that is huge for guys. Guys, if you're looking for a spouse, you're not as macho as you think you are. Those girls don't need you as much as you think they need you. What they need is God. And what they need to see from you is a man who loves God more than you love her. Guys, same thing. You don't need some girl, woman, to make you feel like you are that macho. <laughs> you need a woman who loves God more than she loves you. And that in that relationship, that you're pointing each other to him. Friends, you need to point your friends to God. We don't need to sit around and gossip and sit around in groups. It's like, oh, this is what you need to do, or this is what you don't need to do. Guys, you don't just need to be like, man, you just need to go for me. It's like, hey, you just need to go hunting and shoot stuff. <laughs> true friendships, true loyal, trustful friendships encourage each other in our faith and points us to God because he's the only thing that's sustaining. At this moment in David's life, when he wants to quit, when he wants to just walk away, John's like, no, don't give up. Put your faith in God. 
And the last thing that we see, an attribute of Jonathan's friendship that we can draw into our relationship, is that one that encourages us in our faith and one that points to God, but it also reminds them of the word. Verse 17 says this, as, as we leave, it says, encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, do not be afraid of my father. You will never lay a, he will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I will be your second in command. What Jonathan is reminding David is like, you know, God has put this plan in action, and that is what's going to happen. You need to remember that. Remember what the word says. Remember what the word says over your life. He's not going to kill you. You're going to survive. You're going to be the next king over Israel because that's what God has anointed. I'm going to be your second in the command, and the Lord is going to do great things through you because this is what he has said. This friendship, their trust in each other, their loyalty in, in each other was so strong because they focused on their love for God. They focused on what he had said. He focused on what God had proclaimed over their lives. And so as we finish up tonight, as we see that about our friendships, and we see it as we can be encouraged by that, I want us to be reminded of what the Word says. Our friendships, our relationships can grow and be strong just as this friendship because our love for God but the only reason why that happens is because God loved us first. The reason why we can have a love for God is because God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come here to die on a cross so that we can have a relationship with him and that his relationship with us fuels all the relationships around us. That is key. That is key. Their relationship with strong because their love for God. Our relationships are going to be strong because our love for Jesus, because he loved us first. And I think there's probably many in this room. I was in this spot at a point in my life where I could cared less about who, who Jesus was. I was saved at a young age, but I was fine with just knowing that he'd saved me, and I was good, and I wasn't going to hell. I was fine with that. I wasn't loving Jesus with every area of my life. And when I realized that his love for us was fueling how I cared for other people, man, it was a game changer. How my relationships with my friends grew. How I started having deeper friendships. How I understood what it meant to actually lead my girlfriend and now my future wife. What does that look like for us? We're going to sing. They can kind of start making their way up this to worship. But we have to ask those questions. Do we know that Jesus loves us? Do we know that we're about to celebrate Easter for a reason? Because without his death, burial, and resurrection, we have no hope. We're sitting in this room for no reason. I might as well have just sat down. We could have just sang songs all night about random stuff. Because his love for us, because of his son Jesus, we have the opportunity to have a love for him, a love for God that will fuel every area of our life, that will fuel every relationship. And oh, how that would change the way that you live, not only while you're in college, but for the next 40 years of your life.
So I hope that we wrestle with that. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't even know what that love looks like and how to even start to love someone else because you never even understood that, man, talk to someone tonight. Talk to a leader and talk to me. But if you do know Jesus, he saved you. Are you loving God for who he is and what he's done for you? And is that fueling your relationships or is it just something that is small and minute and everything's just surface level? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for just the opportunity to preach and just the opportunity to share your word. Lord, I know that we just don't talk about subjects like this and it just kind of seems maybe out of place. Lord, but I desire friendships like what we read tonight. I desire to be a friend like David, to be a friend like Jonathan. But only friends like that happen is when we love God and we love people in that way. And the only way that that happens is if we truly understand what you have done for us on the cross. So Lord, I pray that we know who Jesus is. We know that what he has done for us. I pray that, that it fuels the, that we, the way that we interact with other people. It fuels the way that we desire to live in community with each other. That it will fuel our friendships. That it will fuel our future uh, relationships with our spouses. And from that, we'll be living in a sense of community that is reaching people for the sake of the gospel. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray that we put our hope and our trust and our faith in you in everything that we do. In your name that we pray. Amen.